What is a soul? It's a funny question for a soul to ask. But I've been thinking about it a lot. There's lots of different types of souls, obviously, because there are many different types of creations that have souls. We also describe five levels of the soul, nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, and yechida, at least uh, in the Jewish soul. But what do all souls have in common, if anything? Well, nefesh, which is the lowest level of the soul, means will, ratzin, to want. A soul is to want. You know, I often, when I'm doing uh, technical procedures on my computer or uh, mechanically, I'll often look up a YouTube instruction video. And very often, mechanics have their way of speaking. The engineer types have their ways of speaking that are not like everyone else's. And one of the things that the engineers say is they'll talk about a inanimate physical object and its tendencies, and they'll describe it as a want. You have to tighten this real tight because this, uh, this uh, nut wants to come loose. Or you have to make sure to set this setting correctly because the uh, computer wants to delete it. I think that the mechanics have a very deep insight here, which is that a want is not necessarily conscious. It's not necessarily something we would attribute to animals and human beings alone. I think a want is fundamental to the idea of the soul. Hasidus tells us that if you truly want something, that want is totally not based on logic. In other words, if I want a, a can of Coke because it tastes good and it would be refreshing, that's not really a want. That's not a true will. That's emotive. That's based on an emotion. My mind assesses the object of my desire, and it sees that it will fulfill some kind of a gap or some kind of hole in my being. And therefore I want it. That's called an emotion. Will, on the other hand, precedes intellect. It comes before the intellectual analysis. But how is this possible? If I don't use my mind to assess what is good for me or what is bad for me, what can fill that hole or what won't fill that hole, how do I know what to want? The answer is that a true will or a true want is a hatayas hanefesh, which means a turning of the soul, an orientation of the soul towards something. In other words, it is completely self caused. It does not have a reason. It is an innate ability of the soul to turn toward something outside of itself. The soul causes this in itself. But if the soul causes it in itself, then how can you even say it's turning toward something in particular? In other words, if I, granted, let's say I have a totally irrational will for a can of Coke, 
Not because it's going to make uh, quench my thirst or anything like that. It's totally super rational. There's no reason for it. But if there's no reason for it, then why am I turning towards a can of Coke rather than a rock? And in fact, how can I even tell the difference between the two? I think the answer is that just as will is a function of the soul, the object of the will is also a soul. I've never read that anywhere, but I suspect that's the answer. In other words, think of Abraham, of Ramavinu. Abraham discovered God using a very early version of what is later called the teleological proof, which scares everyone. But the teleological proof is eminently simple and is found explicitly in the Midrash. The Midrash itself explicitly uh, outlines and delineates the thought process whereby Abraham concluded that God existed. And the thought process, essentially, is that everything is directed toward a certain purpose. Everything in the world acts with a certain nature and with a certain order, and that order requires and is directed towards an ultimate purpose. And that ultimate purpose must be beyond must itself have no order, must itself have no higher purpose. This, in a sense, is what Avram said, that he thought to worship the sun, but then the sun set. And then he thought to worship the moon, and then the, wor then the moon set. And he thought to worship the clouds, and the wind blew away the clouds. Everything he saw was coming into being and passing from being. Everything he saw had a limited purpose, a limited intent. There must be something infinite and singular and one that itself has no higher purpose. And if you think about it, that's exactly what we're saying about will. That's exactly what we're saying about the soul. That the soul is able to desire and to act without having a higher purpose, without needing something, without being directed towards something. It is a self-contained being, so to speak. Or more simply, it is a self. And that is what we mean when we say the word self. You know, we look around us at the series of events by which you could describe the universe, a chain of causality, one event affects the next event, which affects the next event. And if you only believe in causality, if you only believe in one thing following another, and you don't believe in the soul, what that means is that really every self that you encounter is an illusion. When you encounter a can of Coke, or a human being, for that matter, all you're really seeing is a strange conflux of causes and effects. But there is no center, there is no end point to those causes and effects, because causes and effects flow as freely in and out of that object or that person, just as they flow in and out of uh, billiard balls. What you would describe as the self, in a purely materialistic sense, if you don't believe in a soul, is just a series of causes and effects from which emerges an illusion that there is actually a 
there's actually a stable self. There's actually a person there. If you do believe in a soul, then the graph of causes and effects will have asymptotes. It will, have, it will approach an infinite point. The self is like a black hole of causes and effects, in the sense that causes um, head towards it and effects come from it, but there is an event horizon, there's a point beyond which you can no longer scrutinize the causes and effects. There's a point beyond which um, the flow of causes and effects becomes totally mysterious because there is something there that can decide what to do. There is something there that can create new causes or refuse to be affected by certain effects. In this sense, in this unaffectedness, in the fact that our will can be based only on ourselves, we are like God. So a different way of saying it is that a soul is when God lends out his own selfhood to another. Because all selfhood derives from God's selfhood. So a human being has lower functions, such as speech, which are oriented externally and convey that self outward. You have higher functions, which are qualities of the self and beneath them all you have simply the self the self itself an animal or a plant or an inanimate object also has a fundamental nature the human being has a much higher and more profound way of conveying its nature beyond nature, its self beyond being externally defined. But the truth is, all beings have this self. All beings have this point at which they are a, a lending out of the godly self. And that is the soul of the thing. The only hitch... The only tricky part is that in us, when we perceive our own selves, we perceive our own selves as truly independent beings, as being truly uncaused. God, on the other hand, is the only being who is actually uncaused. And from this dichotomy, from this contradiction, arises all of our difficulties, our challenges, and our mission in this world. Our mission is to take all of these souls, all of these sparks of godliness, and to reconnect them to their source, to reorient them toward God, to reveal that the innermost independent self of all things is truly just an expression of God to reveal that all independence apart from him derives from him, that all of our independence is dependent, that our inherent super-rational desires, which are directed outward based entirely on what we have inward, can be brought under, can be unified with God's desires for his world the desire underlying all of creation, and then we and he will be truly one.